The Airline Business Podcast is sponsored by Panasonic Avionics. Hello and welcome to the Airline Business Podcast, discussing key news and trends in the global airline sector. This time, we're only a month into the year, but is the industry already having to rethink its aspirations on safety, production and consolidation? My name's Graham Dunn, Executive Editor at Flight Global, and joining me as ever is Airline Business Editor, Lewis Harper. Hi, Graham. How are you? Yes, good. Not too bad at all. How are you doing? I'm not too bad, thank you. Yeah, uh, an interesting start to the year so far. We, you know, <laughs> we thought it might be a quiet January, but I, I think it's fair to say it's been anything but so far. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. We quite often do um, kind of forecast style pieces or uh, it's quite difficult to do forecast pieces, but they sort of wrap up the challenges of the year year ahead. And, you know, within a week, so many other things (laughs) were kind of on the agenda, especially for Boeing. Well, exactly. Yeah. So so where to start? I mean, um, yeah, with Boeing, we the 737 MAX program was, you know, not not in the best state, you know, both um, sort of over the, the longer and sort of nearer term. There are challenges there around ramping up production, not not unique to Boeing, of course. There are supply chain issues across the economy, also affecting Airbus. But, but of course, the, the incident with the Alaska Airlines um, MAX 9 um, a few days into, into the year, it sort of brought the microscope onto that program again. I think in terms of the the impact of that incident, obviously, um, on airlines, it's, you know, the MAX 9 is not anywhere near as uh, popular a variant as the, the 8 in terms of how many are in service. So it, it very much affected, you know, United, Alaska, a few other carriers in a significant way. But but this wasn't, you know, like the, the grounding of the kind of flagship of the family. So, you know, and, and most of those are, are, are back in the air now. So so while that has created some short-term challenges for airlines, it kind of hopefully through the worst of that now. But, you know, what this means for Boeing and the wider MAX programme is, is probably, you know, more delays and more challenges, you know, getting the aircraft out of the factory. Yeah, very much so. I mean, we, uh, we saw as part of this, and, you know, not surprising given everything that Boeing has been through over the last uh, a couple of years that the FAA introduced this additional level of oversight and they've introduced this sort of cap on on hiking production whilst it's kind of in, in investigating the cause and, and so forth, which Boeing is, you know, it's at 38 Boeing uh, Maxes that's producing a month, uh, you know, has an ambition to get up to 50 a month as part of that ramp up in the next couple of years or so. It's sort of too early to tell how, what kind of impact, we don't know, how long a, a freeze or a hike would re- remain in, in place, but uh, a freeze on hiking the production. But what it does illustrate is the added scrutiny. And, you know, that just makes makes people in the industry who are, you know, already facing aircraft production problems and uh, supply problems. Uh, it just gives them another reason to be a little bit nervous and, and I guess a bit resigned to aircraft taking longer to get out of the factories and arrive in the fleets. Yeah, I mean, several um, airline CEOs kind of like sounding like stuck records on concerns about Boeing. I mean, you know, it's, it's fair to say that broadly most have come out, you know, supportive of the, the MAX program and, and you know, believe that Boeing can turn this around. But, you know, it's it's only just as they're getting better news on the MAX 9, there's another issue with misdrilled holes on some of the, the MAX aircraft, which means 
you know, more delays for aircraft that are due to come this year. So, you know, a bit more misery for airlines in terms of getting hold of those newer generation aircraft with the sustainability savings they bring and, you know, means extending the leases on older aircraft types, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, it just means that the industry is, you know, adding to this capacity pressure. So, so it kind of never ends for Boeing. It, it feels like, and of course, part of that is maybe some of these stories, you know, that, uh, like the most recent development wouldn't have been such a huge story in isolation, but you know, when you pile it on top of everything else that's going on, it, it really does add to the sense that this is an in- incredibly challenging time. And of course, on top of that, you know, the, the new scrutiny means that there are concerns that the, the max variants that aren't flying yet, or at least aren't um, in the hands of commercial airlines yet, it's going to take longer to get those, you know, the, the max seven and the Max 10 into into airlines' hands as a result of this. And, you know, that's prompted quite, you know, quite strongly worded statements from United Airlines, for example, um, saying it was taking the Max 10 out of its fleet plan. Um, you know, it's not cancelling the order, but but certainly um, isn't banking on getting them within the time frame that I think it might have been contractually um, signed up to. Um, Southwest taking the Max 7 out of its fleet plan because of concerns about this. So, you know, the... Um, in an already capacity constrained environment, these challenges for Boeing are just adding to it. And yeah, the MAX program carries on. I mean, there's a lot of them flying. You know, they're doing a decent job for for a lot of airlines, um, but um, actually getting hold of them and, and expanding from Boeing's point of view and the airline's point of view, getting hold of the, the smallest aircraft in the range and the, the largest is, I think, just been pushed a bit further out potentially. So, so not fun from that point of view and uh, a worsening a worsening challenge for for the industry certainly in the near future um and of course the max 9 incident came a couple of days after there'd been a, an incident involving a japan airlines jet as well yes and and this brings safety right back to the agenda which is something which you know, the industry has done a huge amount to improve over the years and the levels of safety compared to, you know, historical levels are very impressive for commercial air transport. There have always remained challenges. And, uh, you know, I think probably the thing about this incident, which, of course, the Japan Airlines A350, was was really how, how visible it was. You know, this is after many years of you know, relatively little flying in the pandemic. This is probably the first time there's, you know, we've seen those kind of scenes of commercial airline on fire on TV screens around the world, which, you know, coming in, you know, about a day into New Year is, it's a timely reminder. And, and obviously the amazing and, and impressive the speed at which the evacuation took place from there, but, you know, an absolute reminder of how it, it remains a key issue for the, for the industry. Yeah. It's worth noting that. So the Flight International had their, our sister publication had their annual safety survey out um, a couple of weeks ago, and um, and 2023 had been one of the safest since you know, records began. Really, it's 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 it, on the on the one hand, it's yeah, it's, as you say, it's pretty shocking seeing uh, you know an A350 on fire on the runway, and um, in many ways, I think it is partly because it's such a rare rare sight. I mean, you know, in 2023, I think. Um, the survey recorded six fatal incidents with commercial airliners. Um, no jets involved in any of them. So fatality free year for, for commercial jet travel, which is pretty noteworthy. Um, the biggest aircraft involved in a fatal accident was um, an ATR-72 belonging to Yeti Airlines. So um, the, the other jets, the other aircraft, sorry, were, were much smaller, more commuter types. So six fatal accidents um 
115 onboard deaths. Um, that was down from 12 fatal accidents, 229 deaths in 2022. And if you look back to 1999, for example, it's 48 fatal accidents and 730 um, onboard deaths. So, you know, given the thousands of flights a day that the commercial airline industry sees, it's um, it's quite a remarkable safety record. But, you know, it, it always gets these reminders that it, it needs to, you know, really be focused on this all the time and um you know we're waiting for the full report from what happened with the JAL aircraft clearly but um you know it is quite remarkable that you know seeing the footage and there being no fatalities from that certainly on the JAL aircraft obviously the um the Dash 8 um is a is a different story but um but yeah an inauspicious start and obviously some lessons there and then on the, on top of that you you also had you know one of the big things particularly in in terms of the airline sector, we've talked about uh, a great deal this around consolidation. And, you know, we talked a little bit about it would be intriguing to see what the European and uh, US regulatory perspective on it was, you know, whether that, those sort of consolidation plans would would be allowed to go ahead in the manner in which uh, the airlines wanted. And, Again, very early into the year, we've already seen with a series of cases that it looks like it is going to be quite difficult to get it across. The most obvious example being the US ruling on the uh, JetBlue's attempt to buy Spirit Airlines. Exactly. Yeah, I think it's sort of framed it. The first half of January was kind of an inauspicious start for safety. And then the second half, it was an inauspicious start for consolidation as, as far as 2024 is concerned. As you say, we... There was a feeling that regulators were going to come down harder. I mean, they sort of said as much, really, certainly in the USA and, and Europe. And obviously, we had the, the court ruling on, on JetBlue and Spirit rejecting that merger. We know in the last few days, their appeal has been set for June. And I think, I think that's slightly problematic for them because I think their deal expires in July. And I think they their concern is that they won't get a ruling on that appeal until after their deal has expired. So... Yes, not not a great start for that. Obviously, that was all mainly on competition ground. So, you know, taking a court's concern was taking a low cost, an ultra low cost player out of the market. Obviously, JetBlue's plans for Spirit were to kind of integrate its fleet into its own business model there. Um, but then, yeah, spreading spreading to Europe, yeah, fairly similar story really. Not not outright rejections yet, but um, we, you know, in the case of Lufthansa and ETA. Um, and IEG with Air Europa. In both cases, the European Commission has has launched um, in-depth in- investigations into them. You know, while making some pretty negative noises about what it feels about competitive impact of of those two deals. Notably, in Lufthansa's case, it was the, the slightly delayed in submitting the the uh, details of the the proposed stake in ETA, but partly because it was working on remedies um, that um, the European Commission did not even test with. The uh, relevant airlines, it kind of just wasn't convinced by them and has gone to the in-depth investigation stage. So, yeah, it doesn't mean it's the end of either of those deals by any stretch. But clearly, you know, we are at a point where, you know, if one or both of those deals don't get over the line or if the remedies that that are required are, are so draconian that they've actually become unattractive. You know, it's sort of, you know, moving the industry and maybe into a slightly different era. We, we thought that post-COVID would be the time for consolidation, um, but maybe didn't think much as we should have about whether it would actually be possible. Yeah, the aspirations to achieve it are definitely there. 
you know, at what price or what cost? How much are they are airlines prepared to give up in order to to get these deals over the line remains to be seen. Over a period of time, I'm sure that a kind of a, a fresh balance will will emerge, but that could take some could take some time. And, and IAG's been trying to come up with a, a workable deal for Air Europa for a consistent period of time, um, and finds itself, you know, not quite back to square one, but again, sort of not necessarily that much further ahead. So you know that is a challenge, and I think you see you see it even with the European Commission. Um, has just put something out about, uh, you know, very watchful about JetBlue itself as a new entrant rather than in connection to their Spirit Airlines deal, but JetBlue operating into uh, Amsterdam, which they launched that flight last summer. But there was amid sort of some of the tighter capacity constraints at Amsterdam, it, it, it wasn't clear that, that uh, JetBlue would be, get the necessary slots to continue operating that, that flight from New York and from Boston. And, you know, almost a reminder that the European Commission is is taking a big priority in terms of making sure that competition exists on that on those routes. So, you know, this dates back to their previous kind of probes and investigations of the last decade, looking into the role of the big transatlantic joint ventures, you know, which are all kind of based around the, the global alliances. In that particular case, Amsterdam and, and New York, that kind of relates to the strength of the the Delta, KLM Air France uh, and Virgin joint venture across that market. And it just is a reminder that the, the regulators are going to continue to look at that. That is not going to go away. And, and it does feel as though they... You know, on both sides of the Atlantic, there have been kind of statements of intent from the regulators on this. Yes, yeah, certainly. And it's, yeah, it's, it's noteworthy as well that they're kind of supporting JetBlue getting those slots. I know there's a, there's a longer backstory to it, as you, as you mentioned, but, but it's certainly not, uh, you know, there's a perception sometimes that some of the US policies can be quite protectionist. Certainly the European Commission celebrating JetBlue getting slots is just an interesting dynamic there. And, um, and yeah, I know that the, yeah, partly because some of the um, European carriers, as you say, are working closely with, with US carriers in their joint ventures. But yeah, it's um, it's an interesting one. And um, it's, it's probably also worth noting, thinking about other markets, um, that the European Commission and US regulators are the, the two remaining regulators that still need to rule on um, Korean Air's acquisition of Asiana. Um, and, you know, again, be interesting to see how that plays out. And, you know, if they approve that, you know, how will that go down with the... The European carriers that are trying to get, you know, sort of um, similar business done within their, their own um, and within the, the regulators' actual home market. So, so yeah, we're going to get more signs of, of how they're feeling. You know, it, it could be the case that these these particular cases that have gone through there, that um, you know, they've, they've got a point, and and historically this would have happened before. But um, you know, I think there is definitely a sense that the way things are going, it's um, it's an uphill struggle to get these over the line. And for, you know, carriers that have seen previous consolidation moves, certainly in the US, if you're, if you're JetBlue looking at the size of, um, you know, the big players there, probably feeling slightly aggrieved you've <laughs> been blocked from taking 8% of the market by, by buying Spirit, for example. Uh, but, you know, there obviously things change and, um, and lessons are learned from what's gone before. So, so yeah, definitely one to watch. And, you know, will 2024 be remembered as an inauspicious year for consolidation? Well, it's, it's looking that way so far is all, all we can say, I suppose, at this point. 
Yeah, we'll definitely be sense-checking uh, the mood of those big European carriers in particular, Lufthansa, IAG, Air France, KLM, which, of course, has its own consolidation moves in, in process. Uh, we'll be looking to see what the mood of the executives there is when they deliver their first quarter uh, or fourth quarter results, actually, I should say, in the coming uh, in the coming weeks or, or so. We, after the break, are going to have a little look at the mood of a couple of carriers who have already reported their results. And we'll do that after this. Hello, listeners. I'm Andy Mason, and I want to introduce you to Beyond Entertainment, a new podcast from Panasonic Avionics. Each week, we sit down with the best and brightest in our industry for a quick chat on the future of passenger experience. Everything from display and audio technology to in-flight Wi-Fi and killer digital content to meaningful market research. We're looking at what's now, what's new and what's next. So join us as we explore the passenger experience. Go beyond entertainment. Available now on your favorite podcasting platforms or on our website, panasonic.aero forward slash beyond entertainment hello and welcome back as you said before the break we've had some of the first airlines to uh, start reporting their end of year results and giving their sort of indications and outlook for the 12 months to come you know it's obviously been you know a continued year of strong revenues and and actually quite profitable year for airlines as a general rule, particularly larger airlines. But I think some of the nuances of what to expect, and it, and it is differing from, from airline to airline, but we have seen a, a number of quite interesting cases. And, and we think United Airlines is a particularly interesting carrier because they were probably one of the, the most kind of proactive airlines, I think, since the pandemic. And Lewis, you were on, the, you were on their call. What, how were they feeling about life? It was, um, yeah, pretty positive, to be honest with you. Um, United at a sort of headline level. Um, there are airlines like United who are seeing you know, year on year, the results aren't quite as strong. Um, so, they, you know, profits down a bit. Um, but, but that's kind of expected. I think there were in 2022, there were still some some quite strong kind of post-COVID factors playing into to demand levels and, and the return of capacity. And, you know, some of those still exist today, clearly. But but it was still a slightly unusual year, I think, in 22. So, yeah, one theme we're seeing is that some of the really strong figures that certainly US, which was one of the first markets out of COVID, so, you know, the, the, those kind of figures that they saw in 2022 are slightly unfavorable comparisons now. But I think it's important to look beyond that. And, and first of all, acknowledge, as Scott Kirby did, that they, they talked about this happening, essentially, that, you know, there were structural changes in the, the US market in 23 that, he believes are continuing into 24. And I think by and large, what, what he said would happen in, in, in 23 did, did come to pass. Um, as an airline leader in that region, I think he's one of the, the CEOs who, who are more comfortable talking about the broad industry in, a, in an interesting way. So I think he's worth listening to. And, you know, he did talk about going into 23, how there would be cost pressures that would be higher than experienced before. There would be capacity constraints, whether whether that is on the staffing side, whether that's on the, the metal, um, whether that's at airports, ATC, and you know, operational issues play into that. So we've we've seen ATC challenges 
at um, several US airports, for example. Um, so it's basically his idea was that 23 would be a, a year where where capacity would be constrained and, you know, it's come to pass really. I mean, you know, most airlines had to moderate their growth projections for the for the year. Um, and and as a result, Kirby would argue that um, because they saw this coming, that they reacted to it and it wasn't a surprise to them. And, you know, as a result, it, there's more of the same in 24 and, you know, they're sort of ready for it essentially. So, you know, broadly that's where he says they are. I mean, as I say, if you just concentrate on the cold hard figures we've seen, you know, the headline would be United's profit down, but kind of to be expected, costs are higher, you know, there's been a bit of moderation in, in some yields. So, you know, it's pretty positive and, and on the competitive side particularly, actually. So. I, don't, I think you're still seeing within that US market that pressure within probably in the low cost segment, which we've talked about a bit over over recent times. Transatlantic, I think they'll still be, you know, United has expanded quite strongly there uh, over the period. This will probably be more of a consolidation period for, for them for this year. But, you know, those markets will remain, you know, everything suggests that the demand picture is still relatively strong and, and the aircraft supply shortage is into that. But, you know, there is a cost factor. And of course, in, those costs remain a challenge and we've seen um, concerns around oil prices, still concerns uh, obviously around labour costs and so forth. So, you know, none of this none of this is going away. And, you know, I, I suspect we might be in for a, not, not necessarily a bumpy year, but a year of, of continued uncertainty when you look at the kind of unprecedented number of elections that we have happening across the year. Obviously, um, the US one is a particular one to focus towards the back end of the year, but there are you know, a kind of unprecedented amount of um, elections happening this year, which just adds a new that additional level of uncertainty. And I think I think it might take a while for not that we'll see a, a conflicted message from people, but you know, I think it is going to be difficult to fully fully work out what the environment is going to be for the year ahead. It is, yeah, and um, I think. Um on the cost side particularly that that is one to keep an eye on obviously it's been a bit up and down you mentioned fuel yeah we know that in some ways there's been a bit of better news on on that than maybe expected particularly when the um, conflict broke out in the middle east but one of kirby's key points was that he talks about cost convergence and sort of his view what, what he means by that is between a network carrier like his and the low cost carriers yeah they're all facing rising costs but they're rising more steeply among the low-cost carriers. Now, that's having the impact that fares are going up. Um, so, you know, while United is also having higher costs, it's not like the low-cost carriers are massively able to undercut United. So essentially, you know, those fares and what some would view as commoditized short-haul markets are, are being pushed up because, you know, the low-cost carriers are, are more steeply affected by these, these rising costs than the network players. And that means that what... Kirby talks about the cost passing through to revenue and fares is, is happening, as I guess, again, as he, he said he had predicted they would. So, you know, in his view, the environment is is better for, for the network carriers at the moment than it is for the low cost players because of that, I guess, a higher proportion of, you know, like paying pilots a lot more, for example. I think a lot of the low cost carriers have had to, because of the tightness of the recruitment market for pilots, for example, are having suddenly having to pay a lot, a lot, lot more than than um, they had in the past so you know there's a bit of catch up there and because of the tightness in the, the market as I say it's become critical that they do that and that that means that you know their costs are going up quickly so 
Yeah, that, that's one of Kirby's points. And I think to an extent we can see that in some of the quarterly reporting. We know that a lot of those low-cost players who pretty heavily domestic market focused in many cases had, a, had an excellent 2022 in terms of certainly from the summer onwards in terms of um, their quarterly financial performance, but it has not been quite so rosy sort of towards the end of 23. And um, so, yeah, an interesting dynamic in that market. He's talked about it before, but he reiterates again that he thinks that's that's going to be a thing to watch. And in in Europe, interestingly, we haven't the big network carriers are, are still to to report, but we have um, heard from a, a couple of uh, significant low cost carriers, and two of the ones have really been trying to expand rapidly since the pandemic, and for for different kind of industry reasons, haven't found it straightforward in the form of uh, of Ryanair and Wizz. Yeah, again, so in. Ryanair is sort of a bit of a lot. I think in, in Europe, certainly, it really, in 20, towards the end of 22, obviously, it prided itself COVID crisis, saying it was ready to go, basically. It didn't do any big layoffs. It, it was kind of ready to start when demand came back. So, you know, it really benefited at the end of 22 from some pretty strong financials in that last quarter. You know, reporting the last quarter of 23, therefore, that probably not, it's not quite as strong year on year. You know, and it's seasonally weak as well. But but generally, they were pretty positive about the progress they're making in the current fiscal year, sort of ending ending March and looking into 24. Um, probably the most interesting thing I think Ryanair came out with was talking about how they believe that as a whole, European short haul capacity will be down this summer year on year. Um, which you know, given that it's not caught up with 2019 levels yet, is is a fairly significant development. Um, and I think Michael O'Leary went as far as suggesting that could continue, you know, into 2025 and, and possibly beyond. Now, there's obviously always a degree of self-interest in some of these projections, but, you know, they're, they're, it's certainly given the capacity pressure that airlines are facing and not not least Ryanair. I mean, Ryanair expects to grow, expects its capacity to be up 9% this summer. Not not as much as it had hoped because it, it is, um, it's a 7 Free to Max customer, um, it's getting them, but not at the rate that it it wanted. So it's going to be, I think, seven or eight aircraft down for the summer, according to its current thinking. I think that was before the the most recent Max issue came to pass, but I'm not sure if Ryanair affected by that. So yeah, the their kind of projection is that European short capacity is probably 92, 93 percent of of pre-COVID levels this summer, which um, is a couple of percentage points down on where it was in the 23. Um, you know, and th- th- there is reason to believe that, and I think that's where um, Wizz Air come into the um, into the picture, particularly. Yeah, I mean, I think Wizz Air is interesting because if if Ryanair finds itself, you know, if, if not directly, very much uh, perhaps indirectly, feeling the impact of, of the challenges Boeing is having in terms of delivering the Max aircraft, uh, Wizz Air's challenges are actually. Uh, talk to, to some of the other challenges in this uh, affecting capacity at the moment, and namely the GTF engine issue, which is impacting um, several uh, airlines around the world to differing levels, and you know that could be a factor for a while yet. And those you know particular issues in the Middle East. Yeah, so so Wiz basically you know didn't didn't have the best last three months of the year. I think um, um, while it was still growing its capacity at that point, it, you know, financially it wasn't wasn't the best set of results. But like you say, I think it's um, if you wanted to pick an airline that is most exposed to a the um, the impact of the Israel Hamas war on um, 
on airlines aside from the ones that are directly in that region, um, and and B on the um, aircraft availability side of things. I think you'd pull out with Air. I mean, on the um, the the Israel services, it I think it said it re- reassigned about nine percent of its capacity as a result of that. Um, during the quarter, I think it took a bit of. It didn't detail what that financial hit was. I think EasyJet was about, I think, a forty million pound hit from having to cancel some of its services in the region, but um, it didn't. Wiz didn't um, specify an amount, but certainly said it, it. It took a while, obviously, to sort out where it was reassigning its aircraft, and did there was a financial impact from from having to do so. So, um, so yeah, a, a relatively you know large proportion of its capacity compared with a lot of other carriers was was into that that region so yeah a lot to to do there and that had an impact it's you know, i think it's going to restart services to 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 tel aviv on the 1st of march and we, we've actually seen over the past few weeks uh, you know more and more carriers doing that so it feels like there's a degree if, if there's not there's clearly not normalization as things stand in terms of the conflict but certainly in in terms of airline services, more and more carriers are going back in there. You know, clearly not at a level that they they would have been um, offering pre-October last year. But but yeah, clearly the 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 Pratt and Whitney engine issue is. So Joseph Ferrardi, the 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 Wizz Air CEO, was saying that by the end of March they they expect to have 40 aircraft on the ground as a result of that. Um, at the same time, the fleet is around 200 aircraft. So you can see that's a really big proportion of um of the airline's fleet um the the impact of that it, it still thinks it will achieve four-year growth for the current fiscal year which ends 31st of march but looking into the next fiscal year um it's saying it will be flat in growth terms which for an airline like was particularly how it was talking during the pandemic you know this was its moment i think those are the this is our moment i think was the, the words that variety might have used you know they they saw that opportunity to grow and quickly into new markets and to, to be having a year off growth is is quite a, a significant development and going back to Ryanair's prediction for um for short capacity clearly flat growth doesn't mean dropping capacity but it is contributing to that potential trend I think coming this year so we're you know very keen to stress the fundamentals are all still are still there for them they they They'll say they've got low costs compared with um, competitors. Ryanair will tell you theirs are even lower, but um, we'll leave them to that. And um, so, you know, Variety was keen to stress that, you know, there might be a pause in growth. Um, and, you know, it it's achieving flat growth while having that level of, um, you know, of its fleet grounded, partly through um, the fact it is taking new aircraft still. Um, it's it's extending the live, the leases of some of its older jets it's taking short-term capacity on. Um, these things aren't cheap, but um, equally, it will be get, it is being compensated for the, um, for the for the fleet grounding. So, so there's certainly going to be a pause. So it will be a, a really interesting year, I think, in the, the European short-haul capacity. We, as you say, we're yet to hear from the big airline groups who report towards the end of February and into March. But it's it's quite amazing, really, that we're already talking about potential moderation of capacity. Um, after three years of everyone being absolutely desperate to pile back into markets and it's not quite worked out as uh, maybe everyone expected no it's a quite uh, so the pathway back has been you know it, it, everything increased and demand is stronger than anyone mm-hmm. ever anticipated but getting over these five, these last 
the kind of latter stages of it are proving, you know, much harder to do uh, than perhaps have been thought. And that's before we kind of consider other parts of the world where, you know, Asia still has has a long way to go. So, you know, it was still at a, at a top level when you look at those other parts of the industry which still have to build back Asia. You know, I'm sure we'll see capacity returning strongly there. But I think it is going to be more of a mixed picture than we've probably seen you know, not a one-size-fits-all because some airlines are more exposed to particular issues than others. I think the supply chain and the aircraft shortage issue and, you know, the cost issues, you know, all of those are, are impacting everybody. That You know, nobody nobody escapes that. But there are there are some who, who have specific fleet challenges and there are some that have particular market challenges. And, and that's, that's often the case, but that feels like it's definitely the case <laughs> this year <laughs> and for the summer ahead. It does. And of course, the um, as we've talked about before, you know, these capacity challenges do have an upside, which is that <laughs> you've got higher costs. But but my word, you've also got higher yields. And, and um, you know, th- there's a bit of demand moderation maybe we've seen in the US, but equally, the US is one of the few markets where um, they're already trending above pre-COVID traffic levels, whereas Europe's got a bit of a way to go to get there. Um, and, you know, it just means that, you know, we, we lost four years of growth. In, in Europe and, and across across the world in the industry, really. Um, but even accounting for that, I mean, demand is is, is, is very strong. And I think you know, I've been a bit, bit surprised by how we haven't yet seen many carriers, you know, really suggest that that trend is is um, moderating to any great extent. You know, I think everyone stopped talking about pent-up demand coming out of COVID and, and maybe started um, to get a bit more comfortable with the, there being quite structurally strong demand for air travel, and you know, to be fair, when you when you factor in the fact that the end, there would be probably you know ten fifteen percent more capacity in the market potentially if we hadn't had the, the pandemic, then it does sort of start to stack up. Obviously, the the economics catch up with you one day, but but at the moment, you know, if you've got aircraft and you're an incumbent in a market, um, you are doing all right yield wise, and um, you know, it's it's a headache having not having that capacity, and it is. From a strategic point of view, it's frustrating because you're, the opportunities coming out of COVID were there. As I say, particularly in Wizz Air's case, they really you know sold themselves on being the the ones to back coming out of COVID. So I'm sure that they're, they're not going to be behind the scenes won't be delighted that they've got 40 A320 Neo family aircraft sitting on the ground. But equally, you know that's in a market where people are paying quite a lot to to travel and seem to be continuing to do so. Yeah, so. It's not all not all bad. That's I guess that's the yeah. lesson. Yeah. So you know, slightly inauspicious as ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we always say this. It's probably too early to tell uh, what the full mood <laughs> is like. Lots of uncertainties, um, but we will keep watching. Um, Lewis, thanks for your time this week. Thank you, Graham. Uh, this week, I should say this month, we'll be back at the start of March with our next airline business podcast. Thanks to Panasonic Avionics for sponsoring the podcast. Do give the Beyond Entertainment podcast a listen. A reminder, you can catch up on all the news and stories we've mentioned in this podcast at flightglobal.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please like and review us. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes in your podcast feeds directly. And we'll see you again next time.